Hey, good evening, you guys. Good evening. Uh, my name is Matt Moberg. Thank you for coming out in these um, hospitable conditions. Keith, that's not so bad, Keith. Don't give me that look right now. Okay, so uh, let me start tonight with just saying this. Okay, so a, a month or so ago, I started really thinking about the 2019 year two season for the table of Minneapolis, our little community that we're trying to cultivate here. And in doing so, I spent a lot of time in prayer trying to ask God, like, what is it that we are being called into, tasked with? Like, what does round two look like? What's the sophomore record going to sound like, more or less? And one of the phrases that I, I kept uh, coming back to, I kept creeping up in my head, was that the table has been called to be a community that is cultivating healthy people for the purpose of doing healing work. And I've been sitting in that for a month or so. And with that, every week or so, I've, I've felt like in trying to lean into spirit and hear what it is that God would have us be about for the, where our focus should lie, there's been clarity. Like when I think about, you all don't, most of you guys don't listen when I talk, when I do my sermons, but prior to, I'm really trying to figure out, like, God, what is your, what is your heart for this week? And, and I feel like I've had more clarity in that than I've ever had before, except for this past week. This past week, it's been uh, blurry at best. It's been blank slates left and right. I've been scratching and trying to figure out, God, what do you, what do you have? And um, that's not to say that it hasn't been a full week of activity. Um, I want to share with you, as yesterday, I was thinking, kind of landing on wanting to talk tonight um, about what it means to have confidence in Christ, to be rooted and established in Christ and go out and being forces through our faith for the good of our city and society around us, what it looks like to enter into the son of love story for the purpose of liberation. Really excited. It would have been a doozy. You would have enjoyed that sermon. But I got on a plane in South Bend, Indiana, and um, um, life happens. I was on a plane, and I'm sitting in, in the 12th row, seat C to be exact, and there is this girl that sits down next to me. Now, when somebody sits next to you on a plane and they got their headphones on, like out of the gates, you're not trying to strike up a conversation. I had my headphones on. She completely dismissed all the universal sign language that I was putting out there, and she wanted to talk all the same. So we did. Literally within the first five minutes, I'm not going to say it verbatim because I'm not going to recall it exactly, but within the first five minutes of the conversation, as we're exchanging pleasantries, she says, um, uh, yeah, I live in, in St. Cloud. And uh, I, she goes, but I work in Minneapolis. Oh, I go, that's quite the commute. Like, why don't you, why don't you work in the city? And she goes, it's just too dangerous. Like, I'll, I'll get mugged if I live in the city. So, I mean, right away I'm kind of going, Revan, where's this going to go next? So then I go, okay, uh, what's St. Cloud like? You know where this is going, don't you? What's St. Cloud like? And honest to God, there is no hyperbolic tone in her. In her. There, she, she said, it's great except for all of the Somalians. Which that led to a conversation in that moment where it was about talking about how diversity is a gift, how that is how actually we are healed from ignorance and whatnot, to which she then put on headphones <laughs> mid-sentence and tuned me out for the rest of the plane ride. At that point in time, going into the plane, realizing I have nothing to say for tomorrow night, to realizing that God has a lot he'd like to say, um, that changed things for me. I stepped off the plane, got onto the 
what do you call it? What's the walking thing that moves? You know what I'm talking about? Don't make me look stupid right now. Do you know what I'm talking about? Might be a jet bridge, don't really know. Okay, you know what I'm talking about though. I'm going on there, heading towards getting picked up by my wife, and every TV that, we are, that I'm passing by is talking about how at this time right now, and I mean that, at 4.30 in the p.m. today on the East Coast, 1,100 miles to the east of us right now, there is another group of white supremacists, extremists who are rallying and being fueled by bigotry, hatred, and everything that is antithetical to love of neighbor. And so what God exposed, expressed on the plane became very clear on the jet bridge. When I woke up this morning, thinking about how do I talk about this, I thought immediately about how I don't want to be another white guy talking about this. We have talked about this a lot this year, and how it often comes out is in some kind of like subtle way that I hope you often don't detect, because I want to convince you that I'm a white guy that's not like those other white guys out there. That's not how liberation works. That's not an actual edifying way to go about this. And so I reached out to my friend and one of the best and brightest, the most courageous leaders in our city, the Reverend Dwayne Davis, asked him four hours, five hours prior to the service, while he's on vacation, didn't know this, case, don't, didn't know this, if he could come in and have a conversation about the present moment we're in. And thanks be to God, he said yes. Can you give a warm welcome to Reverend Dwayne Davis? Come up here. I'll, uh, let me get this mic working for you. We are a well-oiled machine. Well, just so you don't feel too bad, I, I, I went to work today. I, wasn't, I was on vacation after service, after the benediction. Vacation is vacation. <laughs> this is not what vacation is supposed to look like. So I was at work this morning. <laughs> All right, so let me start here. Um, in my seminary experience, one of the most uh, formative books that I read, I think, was Heschel's book, The Prophets. And in the first part of the book, I'm going to butcher a little bit what he said, but he said something to the effect where the role of the prophet is to properly exegete our present existence, to name what is happening, what the noise is on the ground, what the smell is in the air, what the movement is all around us. Right. From your vantage point, as a senior pastor of All God's Children Metropolitan Church, mm -hmm. as one of the chairs of the Minnesota Poor People's Campaign, as somebody who has been at this work for a long time on a lot of different fronts, mm -hmm. What's going on on the ground? <laughs> well, before I answer that, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for inviting me and thank you for uh, pushing me to do that. Um, I'll say, this is important, it's, it's going to answer that question. Uh, about a week ago, uh, I, get sent, uh, I get sent books to read in, in the hopes that I'll review them uh, and uh, I love books in a way, so I, I'm glad to receive them. And I got a book that the University of Virginia Press sent me uh, called Summer of Hate by Halls Spencer. And it is his account of what happened in Charlottesville. And uh, when I got the book, uh, I immediately, I got it, at, it came to my office, and I tore open the package and said, oh, I'm going to read this, and I started reading it. And uh, I think 10 pages in, I said, I don't want to read this. Uh, and one of the reasons I didn't want to read it is because uh, 
Hall Spencer, uh, I, I, I don't know anything about this author. Uh, I know he, he, he's a journalist and he wanted to be um, very objective. And so he, he's doing what a journalist should do, trying to put all the facts in and trying to. And at that very moment, what my job, I, I realized something very important, that my job is not to be objective. And it's interesting that you would bring up Rabbi Heschel uh, and, and his book, The Prophets, because prophets aren't objective. They don't care what, what, what you're about your comfort. They have one job and one job only. It is to tell you what thus says the Lord. And it is not to make you comfortable. It's not to say this is the way it ought to be done. So in, in that line of things, I think I just, when you were just talking uh, and, and just asking me that question, the reason I didn't want to read that book is because right now there is no moment, especially for anyone who is going to try to proclaim a word, the word objective is not uh, very helpful. And so if I exegete the moment, uh, I, I, uh, I, I will say, I'll, I'll wrap it up in, in, in what actually was a very prophetic thing that I think I saw just on Friday. I went to see Spike Lee's movie, The Black Klansman. And I'm not giving anything away in the film, so you please go see it, it's an excellent film. Uh, but the last frame of the movie is an upside down American flag, the official sign of America in distress. And so if I would summarize what I think uh, the moment is like and, and exegete it, I will say that we are a nation in distress. Uh, and usually when there is distress, one thing that we've, we've always have been able to count on is a leader or group of leaders to come and try to hold us in the moment. Uh, and many leaders have risen to that occasion. It, it, I'm not talking necessarily about church, but I'm talking about a nation in distress, whether it would have been after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln or the assassination of John F. Kennedy or uh, times of war or 9-11. Uh, go back and think about a time when you heard about us being in distress. And somehow our leaders, even the ones we disagreed with or the ones we disliked, have found themselves able to seize the moment and try to bring us together and try to be non-anxious and, and open. And we don't have such a leader. We don't have such a leader. So the, the sense of distress to me is, is palpable and, 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 and uh, it's, it's shaken our sense of who we are. And so, people in some ways are acting out. Uh, they're acting out, acting out of, there's no sense, there's no one to call us back. Uh, and, and we as preachers and people of faith, uh, this is the time when a nation is in distress is, is some sense that what it calls for is to be salt uh, of the earth in light of the world. Um, I was thinking about that earlier today in Sunday school. We were talking and I, uh, somehow the notion of salt and light kept 
buzzing around in my head. And, and what, the, what occurred to me about this, and, and, and I'm connecting it to this notion of a, a nation in distress, is that I don't even think the church is a place that anyone feel that they can go when, when they're feeling this. And that is even more distressing. Uh, that's even more heartbreaking, okay? It, it, we're a nation of distress. We can't get this thing together. We seem so divided. We have a leader that seems to, put, to put his thumb right on the, the pressure points to make us even more anxiety-ridden. And there's, where can we go? Uh, and then if, if, if we're anxious and if we're fearful, and the young lady you, you, who sat with you on the plane is anxious and fearful, and, and so there's no one to say, do not be afraid, don't fear. And so if I execute this moment now, I'd say we're a nation in distress with a bunch of people who are frightened to death and somehow unable to hear uh, and maybe my voice is muted, maybe your voice is muted, but uh, to call us back and say, do not be afraid uh, and, and, and do not be anxious uh, and, and figure out a way to, to pull us back together. Uh, I, I don't know exactly uh, what to do other than uh, to go every, every, certainly every Sunday, but in my prayer time, in my preparation to proclaim, uh, just to ask God to help me to be faithful. Uh, and the reason I say faithful is because if I say anything else, if I say, oh God, help me to say this or say it this way, um, it might, it, I might get back to where my gut, my gut is and where my visceral uh, anger is. Uh, and my visceral anger, I know, is not necessarily always the best thing. I have a wonderful husband. My anniversary is on Friday, 27 years. Hence the vacation. <laughs> yes, the vacation. 27 years. Uh, and... Uh, the always tell me, you know, is to pull me back when the anger is about to come. Um, so I ask God, help me to be faithful because I don't want to exacerbate the distress and I don't want to exacerbate the, uh, the, the fear. But I know I have to tell the truth. Uh, and so there, there, the truth that I'm telling at this moment uh, this truth that I'm, is that we, we have to, have to be prepared uh, for it to get worse. Um, we have to get prepared. I'm not telling my people that so that they will be, get more fear. I'm telling them that so they'll have the same prayer that I have. God, make me faithful. Make me faithful. I was, um, last week we talked about the storm on the sea that Jesus calms. And I was sitting in here after everybody left and I got a text from a friend who was present that night and they said, did you know that churches, they used to be built in such a way where like this is an inverted keel, like this would be the bottom of the boat right here, right? The nave, this is, that's where we get the word navy from, that's the sanctuary. And talking to his friend, was texting me about 
Bob Dylan's song, Shelter from the Storm, and, and the idea of how the church is supposed to be a, a place where people can climb into their boat uh, alongside of Christ and get to the other side of the storm. And yet, oftentimes, it's been a place that's perpetuated the storm as opposed to bringing it to peace. And I think about somebody like you, Reverend, who is a, a married gay man for 27 years, a black man. You've had like a front row seat to a lot of different faces of oppression, and yet you, you continue to climb in this boat. Can I ask you, why do you believe that like through like faith and like through the community of people who, who subscribe to faith, that like we can face the, the storms that are both present and the ones that are clearly coming on the way? It's, <laughs> why do I, why do I Did you, do, you came in the night? I, I tell you, why do, uh, I love, I left faith for a very long time. Oh, I, no, I won't say that. I will say I left church for a very long time. I don't think I ever lost faith. Um, I, I here, here's, here's the thing. I think one of the things that saved me was when I, I realized that, uh, that all the mediators of God's revelation, including my father, I'm the son of a preacher, so you can tell I was also a bad kid, preacher's kids. Um, but all the mediators of God to me, uh, Somehow, I don't know what, it, and, and I say it's God, I don't know, I don't know. I, I always sensed uh, that, that they, as, even if they thought they were doing it right, if they thought they heard right, I think they were, in some ways, uh, they, were, they were propping up a, uh, the church, they were propping up religion. And, and, and I don't hold that against them, that's all of us are mired in it. And I'm answering this question this way. But when, what saved me was when I finally realized that um, despite what we've been doing, how we've been living, despite the way the world has gone and the way the history of, 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 of oppression and fighting, and, um, God has, has been quite consistent. Uh, God has been quite consistent. And, and so... One of the things I think the reason I, I am a learner and follower of Jesus Christ is because Christ himself, Jesus himself, was consistent in his ministry. Uh, that everything that came against everyone, uh, Jesus had a profound sense of what the kingdom of God was, the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, all the names we have of it. And he kept saying it, and, and, and this is the beauty and the, the thing that I could hold on to, that everything that we're doing, it looks like a lost cause. Yeah. It actually is right. in, the, in the view of the world. When the world sees it, like, oh, look at those people over yeah. there. Oh, my God. Look at them. You know, they can't compete. You know, they they're not afraid of us. And... This so-called lost cause, everybody who got involved in it were made whole. Mm. 
It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter where they came from. They didn't have to be rich. The whole system of honor and shame didn't matter to, right. to, to Jesus. So everything that Jesus was setting up, this alternative, this, this, this church, this group, this movement, whatever you want to call it historically or theologically, whatever it was, but whatever it was, it seemed ridiculous and kind of odd, and it was prostitutes in it and tax collectors and people who had skin diseases, and they all just sort of got together, and boy, for them, it was amazing. So yeah. this lost cause yeah. that we seem to, to be a part of, it always has within it the power to transform and to do its thing. So whatever is going on around us, whatever, whatever the world, whatever is happening in the world, you gather together in this space, this ridiculous, and people say it shouldn't be, especially in my church. Uh, in my church, there shouldn't be this, this black gay guy up there preaching and proclaiming. It shouldn't be trans people sitting right next to uh, a white cis hetero man. Uh, the world tells us we should be, it shouldn't be black and white people. We're supposed to be at each other's throats. That's exactly what the Unite the Right business in DC is all about. We're supposed to be hating each other. And yet you gather in this space, yeah. we gather in our space, we shouldn't be, and we try over and over again this lost cause we've made cause with, and we say we're going to love each other, we're going to try, and we're going to be community, all in the face of someone telling us how easy it should be that we shouldn't. Yeah, wow. And so I hang out in there, and I keep going, and I keep trying, and I keep, you know, it's messy, and it's, it's it, and guess what? They have me. Mm -hmm. Because if I walked up in somebody else's church, and they saw the color of my skin, they'll wonder like, what are you doing here? Instead of saying, welcome brother. Mm -hmm. Or if they saw me hold my husband's hand. So I go in some church and I did that. They'll say, you're not welcome here. But I walk in my church and I walk in so many other churches and those people who don't know me from Adam say, hey, welcome. That's yeah. that lost cause yeah. striking back against everything they're telling us not to do. And that's the beauty of it. And I want to be, be a part of it. Amen. Amen. That's so good. I was, um, let, me, let me shift a little bit. So when you and I, we sat down at Studio Two months ago now. Yes. And um, I'll never forget it. You probably did. But I'll f remind you, you talked to me about what you were talking about earlier, actually. Because I was in a season where I was trying to figure out what's the most effective response to systemic oppression? What's the most effective like, way that we can start like, beating back against darkness? Right. If, the, if our country is in distress, if that's true, yeah. how are we going to turn the flag upside down in an effective manner? Yeah. And you said to me there, you go, it's about fidelity. It's not about efficacy. Yes. It's about fidelity, which is why I ended up getting arrested and my wife doesn't love you very much. <laughs> she would ultimately blame you. Yes, what, yes. what I want to ask you about is through your work with um, Minnesota Poor People's Campaign, through your other, other works of activism, how have you, um, that Romans 12, living sacrifices, using our bodies in that yeah. way, how have you discerned when is a time for you to be faithful and when is a time for you just to sit back? Uh, that's interesting. I, I, here's the thing. One thing, I, the first thing, the one way I think the biggest impediment to being faithful is fear. Mm. And one of the things I, I, I really pray about and, and really run into is fear. 
Because in, when, if I operate in fear, that's when it all goes sideways. And when I, I pull back and when I, I, when I don't want to, to go into the fire. Um, and, I, I, and I'm glad you reminded what I said. And, and what I mean, it, it, the interesting about all of this is the Poor People's Campaign itself. I remember telling someone, I was like, I really would like to get arrested. Uh, but they won't allow me to get arrested. Uh, one, because I'm on the steering committee, <laughs> you need to work. Uh, but, uh, but another thing was the issue of, of, of the, the image of a, of a black man getting arrested and, 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 and the, they're very sensitive to the notion of who you see in getting arrested. And, um, but one of the things I was afraid of going into the poor people's camp, the fear that I had was uh, the idea that it won't make noise, that people won't hear us, uh, that it won't make a difference. The efficacy. Yeah, and I was, that was in the back of my mind, like, is this going to work? And, you know, months, months we've been meeting and will people show up? And, and I think the, 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 the night before the first rally that we had, uh, I, I was praying about it, and, and then I remembered something... Uh, my, my first pastor, my father, used to say, I used to get really mad when we would go to church when it was like really bad weather. And I would say, we're going to be the only ones there. Why are we going? We're going to be the only ones there. And he said, and I'm going to preach to you like it was 500 people in there. Uh, and I remember that when I start getting worried about... Uh, if, it's, if people are going to show up. The, the idea of being, being faithful and being, uh, uh, having fidelity to what God called you to do, I remember when he says that, he was like, if you are the only one there, I'm going to preach it like it, this is my last time preaching it. Yeah. And so even with the Poor People's Campaign, the thing that shifted me was, I said, you know what? They're going to see us there. And we're going to be bearing witness. And somebody, somebody is going to see it. And this is, again, this notion of the, the issue of the lost cause or anything or how the world views us. Um, we, we, we tend to, all, I keep saying, I tend to, and we can't get away from that. We all do it. But we, want to, we measure everything we do by standards that the world have given us. We say this is what success means, this is what eff effectiveness means, this is, we, 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 this is how we're doing it. What changed me is when I walked into that first sort of preparation for the rally, and I saw all these people in there. First of all, I think it was about 40 people in, 30 or 40 people, I think you were in there. And they were all, and there were people of every race and uh, every ethnicity every age. Actually, I was surprised at some of how old some of the people were. And then there were young people. And, I, and then it occurred to me right then and there that again, if I had been afraid, if I had let the fear take over, I would have been trying to game it and trying to figure out how to, to plug things in. I didn't have to do any of those things. I didn't have to, I didn't have to add to what God was going to do. Right. I didn't have to add. I, all I had to do was to be faithful. And so in this moment, uh, the, the key for me is 
it goes back to what, what the old preacher, I call my dad the old preacher. It's what the old preacher said. Uh, show up. Uh, be faithful. Uh, be faithful to what you're called to do. And the message would get across. I did, I was, I, I put it this way. When I saw that you were getting arrested and you were at the training to get arrested, the, well, the first thing I thought was like, wow, I'm, what kind of a heel am I? Matt's going to do this, and I'm sitting here. And, and so then that... Where are you? Uh, yeah, I, like, I need you the most. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm thinking like, well, if he's doing it, what it's going to look like, I'm not doing it. So that, that's the competitiveness in me too. We have that in there. Like, well, if he's doing it. Um, but then the second thing was, I said to myself, this is going to, this is going to, this is going to work. That was the first week. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen for the next six weeks, but I'm thinking, I'm like, we've done this. And there were other people who were a little nervous. I was like, no, this is it. We, we, to see those people on that first yeah. day, I was like, no, this, this is already, uh, it's already done. And so the idea, so now it's not about fear, it's about what's next, how to keep it going, how to keep being faithful to it. And you know, we're, we're in those conversations now. So I, I guess the way I answer that is this though, that the, the beauty of, of, of letting go of that fear and, and, and leaning into uh, this work or into what you have to do uh, is that it, the, the, the measure of success has nothing to do with those things that we think. The measure of your success of this ministry, it's not going to come with, with you know, packing out, you know, a room. You know, I, I try to remember that that's, 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 the, that's the fringe. That's the, that's, the, that's the stuff that comes because of something else, but that's not the measure. The measure is the faithfulness. Uh, and and that, that, you will, you will, you will, it will happen uh, in the same way that it happened for Jesus. Uh, notice the gospel writers, sorry, I'm a biblical geek too. Notice how the gospel writers only talk about the crowds as a sort of um, setting the stage. The real, the real efficacy, if you want to use that phrase of Jesus' work, is in that individual transformation that happens, whether it be the woman at the well, or if it be uh, 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 Nicodemus, uh, or the, the person with leprosy, uh, who said, uh, if you are willing, and then Jesus responds, I am, yes. So again, notice, we want to see the crowds. And in the story, in Jesus' story, it wasn't, the crowds were sort of filling in the, the background yeah. and telling you what the, the landscape, but the real work was the transformation that happened when Jesus did Jesus' job right. and, and touched that. And so I, I keep that in mind. Yeah, I keep that in mind when we're like, oh God, and, and don't get me wrong, I get there on Sunday morning, I was like, boy, where are the people? And then by the time I'm greeting people at the end of that, that, uh, that service, and that one person says, I wasn't going to come today, and I'm so glad I did. Um, and so at the beginning of that service, I'm sitting there, where are the people? 
And then at the end of that service, that one person comes and said, I wasn't going to do it, but thank you. I love that idea. I love the idea of faith being in outlook and not fixed upon a certain outcome and not like having the standards that are surrounding us imposed upon what God has called us into. I think that is so liberating and so powerful. And so you don't have to carry that anxiety. You don't have to carry that weight. It's, It's not there. So let me ask you this, and, and I won't keep you all night because you've got um, vacation to get to. Let's be the last question. Um, I was thinking this morning about how 50 years ago in D.C. is the roots of the Poor People's Campaign. You have Resurrection City, where you have over 3,000 tents. In the aftermath of King being killed in 68, um, activists came together. Over 3,000 wooden tents are built to kind of display solidarity with the poor in the country. And I heard this story a long time ago. Some don't Correct me if I'm lying. Correct me later, not now. But there's a story of this guy who was living in one of the tents, and he's, he's kind of hearing some of the, the boys down the road getting kind of like fired up, like, we got to start, like, we got to up our, our game. It's one thing to sing and dance, but eventually we got to throw some fists. Um, and Jesse Jackson comes through, and he stops them, and he goes, uh, he goes, we're not about that. That's not our story. That's not what this is about. He goes, promise me you'll do, do this for me. When this is all over, when the permit is up, after 42 days, go back to your neighborhoods and to do two specific things that are going to enhance the beloved community where you presently live. And so these boys, they end up going back and they end up reaching out to Jesse Jackson and say, here are the two things we've committed to. And now they've snowballed into a lifetime of callings and whatnot. When you think about Minneapolis, we, your, your church is South Minneapolis. We are here in South Minneapolis. When you think about our city, and the work of liberation and love that we've all been tasked with taking on, what are two invitations that you would give to people to step into? I'm, I'm being very, and, and this probably would be a different answer in a different time, but I think it's is so present with me now. Um, and I'll, I'll just let you know where it comes from. So you've been seeing this thing where people are calling the police on African-American people for just doing things like taking a nap or, uh, you know, uh, going somewhere. And what that stems from is, is uh, the notion of the black body in white space. In some sense, uh, the, the real power of white supremacy uh, is that every space is white space. And so, um, uh, and so people are calling the police on people because technically you're in, on black because you're in our space and we don't, we, you know, it's ours and so we have to police it. So the one thing that I, I invite people to do, I, and I was sitting with some friends just this week, we were talking about this, uh, about this, and you know, what's going on, is, is it, are people really calling the police more? Uh, you know, or is it, yes, they are calling the police more. Um, but one thing I would invite you in the context of where we are, and again, in the context of what I said earlier about us being in distress, and I know it's very difficult, I, I do, but I think what we need, especially for white people to do, is to, uh, in the ways that in your own context, 
is to democratize and, 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 and give up what has been sort of essentially described as white space. And you ask me, how, how do we do that? How do we do that? It is recognizing, recognizing um, always uh, the place of the black body in your proximity. Uh, and that I know you, you may think that's difficult, but it, it, it's, put it this way, what I'm inviting you to do is to say that this space that I'm in, whatever space you find yourself in, is to give up owning it. Uh, give up owning it. Know that, yes, every part of where outside of my home I'm sharing this space and I'm sharing it with the Muslim, the Somali Muslim, something that the young lady could not do. Uh, I'm sharing this space uh, with these people. I live in North Minneapolis and I'm very much aware, uh, I, I chose that space, I'd never lived in Minnesota and people, uh, when I was moving, people said, where, you know, the realtor said, where do you wanna live? And he was kind of shocked. I said, I, where, where are the most of the black people? And he said, oh, they're in North Minneapolis. And uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a fortunate and wealthy man. So he said, but uh, pastor, uh, that's not a good neighborhood. I said, all of North Minneapolis is not a good neighborhood? Uh, no, it's not a good neighborhood. You don't want to live there. I said, find me a house in North Minneapolis. Um, but I, the reason I chose that is because I knew that if I found a place in what white people considered white space, my life would have been just that a little bit more difficult. Uh, and so my invitation is to give up the space or share the space. Anything outside of your immediate home, let that space be. And the implication, the next thing I invite you to do is implicated in that first one. Uh, and that is build a relationship that the world tells you you're not supposed to. And if you don't think the world is telling you you're not supposed to, just watch television, watch the news, or listen to the president. Build a relationship that the world says it shouldn't be. Build a relationship with a queer person if the world tells you that queer people are not supposed to be a part of the beloved community. Build a relationship with an undocumented person if the world tells you that you're supposed to separate them or deport them. Build a relationship with someone, anyone, that the world says you should avoid. Because if we do that, we begin to do what that lost cause does. That lost cause becomes that kingdom of heaven that we proclaimed had come near. And they couldn't make sense of it. It looked weird. It was crazy. They sh it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't be that, that Samaritans and Jews and, and people who have been kicked out of the, the, the temple shouldn't be, a, shouldn't be hanging out together like this. And every day, we as people of faith, the world should look at us and say, what are those people doing? 
Why, why, are they, why are they together? Why are they doing this? And that's, they, that's what they should be afraid of. They should be so annoyed when they see us loving each other that way. They should be so annoyed when they see us hanging out with our Somali siblings. They should be so annoyed when they hear us, you know, the black and Hmong hanging out together. It should annoy the hell out of them. I said that in church. So that second part of it is do that. Find that relationship, open yourself up to it, not, not as a, not, not in a, not in a, in a, in a I'm, not, I'm not asking you to, 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 um, uh, to do something uh, that, that could be seen as, as, as patronizing or, but I'm saying if you give up the space, if you share the space, somebody is going to come into your orbit that you didn't, that don't look familiar to you. I'll close with my answer with this. When, when all God's children wanted to hire me, I told them not to. Uh, like in the interview process, that was what you led with? Yeah, I said, please don't hire me. Uh, I said, because I, I, my, my belief of what church should be is that we should be so open and welcoming that someone one Sunday is going to sit next to you and they're not going to smell the way you want them to smell. They're not going to look the way you want to look. And I said, my hope is that if we do this work right, and if we are faithful, there are going to be some people who come to the door that are going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And some of you, actually, some of the people that you really like, there are going to be quite a few of them who might actually leave. And yes, some of them have. And I warn them, though. I said, but that's, that's what I want to happen, that we will love so widely that we're going to have people who walk through those doors and they're, gonna, they're not going to smell good, they're not going to look to what we look like what we're used to seeing, and they're not gonna be, they're gonna, they're not gonna, we're not going to feel comfortable. Uh, and then that's when we're going to know that we are truly being faithful to Jesus. Because we're in the boat. Yeah. Amen. You guys, can you give a warm thank you to Reverend Dwayne Davis?